Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Right now, I want you to think about that person, that person in your life that's difficult to get along with, that person that you just don't like to be around. Maybe it's because they're just too proud, they're, they're too arrogant, they're always thinking about themselves, they're self-centered, or maybe they're just too talkative, or they're just too emotionally sensitive, too emotionally needy, and you just don't like to be around them, or maybe they're too shy and they're awkward to be around. Maybe they don't have good hygiene. <laughs> or There's just something about this person's personality that repulses you. Uh, maybe this person just frustrates you. You know, there's, again, something about them that, that you see their weaknesses or they've let you down. What do we do in those situations as Christian disciples? How do we love our neighbor when everything in our heart just wants to run away from our neighbor? <laughs> and this can happen, by the way, with family members, certain relatives, or certain people we grew up with, or maybe someone in the office or someone in our parish. Uh, it can happen in the normal course of family life where there's a family member that's really bothering you right now. What do we do in these situations? I, I think that we have to see that these are profound opportunities where we're being invited to love to love like Jesus loves. How do we do that though? How do I love my neighbor when all of my feelings, all of my emotions don't want to love my neighbor? That's what we're going to look at here today. I want to talk about an amazing saint. It's a saint I was able to draw close to, at least his relics and walk in his footsteps in Assisi recently. And it's the famous Saint Francis of Assisi. And Francis is known for loving nature and preaching the gospel and care for the poor and all this. But I don't think many people really apply Francis to their daily lives and how he invites us to love our neighbor in profound ways. And that's the real pathway to holiness. And that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I am back from Rome, uh, doing my Rome pilgrimage there at the end of June. And so good to be back with you all. And I, I really had one of the most memorable pilgrimages. I, I've been doing this pilgrimage for over 20 years, and we just had some really special moments on this pilgrimage. One of them was there in Assisi. I don't know if you know about Blessed Carlo Acutis, young 15-year-old boy. He had he died of cancer at a young age, uh, used the internet a lot for evangelization, had profound devotion to Jesus in the Eucharist and uh, a great evangelical heart. He just wanted to tell the world about Jesus and his real presence in the Eucharist. And uh, we, I had been to his tomb in Assisi before. But this year, they had this special, I think it's only for a few months here, the tomb is open where you you have glass and you can actually see him. And it's the only saint I've ever seen buried in jeans and Nike tennis shoes. <laughs> so, but it was really amazing. We got to see his body draw really close. But what was most special about it was we had, we had a pilgrim on our pilgrimage uh, who was battling cancer this last year, a young woman, newly married. Uh, her name's Ellen, and she so you you can pray for Ellen in her battle. And she had finished her treatments shortly before we went on pilgrimage, and she was feeling up for still going, and wanted to really go to this tomb so that she can pray in thanksgiving. She really interceded, uh, sought the intercession of Blessed Carlo through her battle. So we can remember Ellen and Peter, but it's so moving just to be with them and their story. And she's cancer-free now, and Blessed Carlo's role in their life. It just really just makes the saints so personal, so moving. Another amazing thing happened was there's this statue of Mary that I've prayed before for over 20 years. I always go to this. It's called the Madonna of Childbirth there in Rome. And uh, I've prayed for many young couples who have struggled with infertility. They've just not been able to have a child. 
And I got to tell you, every time I go pray before this statue of Mary and I pray for a friend, <laughs> they, they end up getting a child. Uh, sometimes it's through adoption, but as you may know, that could be almost just as miraculous as conceiving, sometimes be able to get an adoption to go through. But many times they've I've seen couples all of a sudden come out of infertility, be able to have a child. And I was just there in March and I was there praying for a particular couple that they may have a child. And, um, and that couple was able to come with me on this pilgrimage. And I remember talking to them right before we're getting ready to leave, saying, I'm so excited. You'll get to go pray at the same statue. And I, it's, it's really powerful. And I, I've told them the story about how, how many people I've heard have been able to have a baby as a result of prayers from, from, from Our Lady before the statue. And, and I told the couple, and the, the husband smiled. And he says, yeah, we're so excited to go and pray in Thanksgiving. Because <laughs> I told them I'd prayed in March, and now here they are. They were uh, carrying their first child there and, and going in Thanksgiving. That was really moving. And then, of course, I'll never forget, I mentioned this in the episode a couple of weeks ago, the one we filmed on location in Rome, that uh, hearing about the news of the Supreme Court and the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I'll just never forget that moment of a pilgrim handing me his phone, showing me the article, the news that had just come out. Literally, it was before my phone started blowing up with all these updates and text messages. It had literally just come out, and we were there right before the tomb of St. Catherine of Siena, getting ready to celebrate Mass. And uh, I, I was starting to read the news article, and as soon as I read those words that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, I, I just broke down in tears. I couldn't, I couldn't continue reading. I had to hand it to uh, one of my pilgrims to, to read to the rest of the group. So anyway, very memorable trip. I want you to know I, I pray for all the listeners whenever I go on pilgrimage to Rome or the Holy Land. So you're in my prayers and your intentions. Uh, so really a great blessing to be able to be there in Rome and, and now to be back. Hey, one other thing I want to share with you before we get started today on this topic related to Francis is, you know, my wife and I are in June, we did those three, that three-part series on marriage and just want to let you know it's exciting. The book is out. So it's it's actually been shipping and I've already been getting emails from people who've already been receiving the book. So the book is available. You can go to ascensionpress.com slash real marriage to order it there. But the book is out and it's shipped already. It's called the good, the messy, and the beautiful, the joys and struggles of real married life. We got a lot of feedback uh, on that series. I think we're going to do another little series on marriage uh, going into the fall, early fall. So stay tuned. I'm going to probably want to get listener questions. Uh, I know that a lot of people had a lot of comments and thoughts. would love your questions, and I'll, I'll talk more about that in future episodes here. But today... Let's turn to the story of the great St. Francis of Assisi. And again, he's known you know, for his love for nature and preaching to the birds and, and, and living this very austere life and begging. And, uh, and it's incredible. I know his life is really, uh, I've always been moved. He's probably one of the first saints in my young adult life that really grabbed my attention, grabbed my heart. And I can remember praying before his tomb many times in Assisi uh, for, for many, many years. But I will say on this trip, I had been reading up a little more on some of the historical like sources related to Francis's life, and I'm more deeply moved about this aspect of his conversion. What was it that got Francis to want to give up living this wealthy merchant class life? He had a, a, he had a job all set up. He could have stayed with his family. He wanted to be a knight, uh, and that was a very prestigious role in medieval Assisi. And he gave all that up and wanted to live this radical life of the gospel. Well, what, what was the turning point? And there, there are many things, and we're not going to go through his whole life here, but one thing that he writes in his own writings, like in fact, his last will and testament, shortly before he dies, he talks about the turning point. He says in his pre-conversion life, 
he had been repulsed by the sight of lepers. Whenever he saw lepers, he said, quote, it's, they seemed bitter to me to see those lepers. It just just bitter to him. He just didn't want to be around them, really repulsed by them. But then he described how the Lord had led him to live among the lepers. And we know historically he lived at a leper's hostel, a place where lepers were kept, and, uh, and he earned his keep by caring for them. He had to clean their bodies and dress their wounds and treat them as human persons. And, he, and you get a sense that that whole experience completely changed him. He came to experience, to understand his own sins, his own weaknesses, the ugliness in his own life, in his own soul, from his own sinfulness, and, and, and God's amazing mercy toward him. That, it, that the, the encounter with the lepers was kind of like an encounter with his own soul. It was looking within himself. He saw his own disease, his own spiritual sinfulness even more profoundly, and yet God's profound mercy upon him. He describes this as the turning point. He says, as I went away from them, that which seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. You see, Francis became a changed man. He was changed through his encounter with that which was repulsive at first. And it was from this point on, he just wanted to leave the ways of the world and give his life completely to the gospel. I think there's an early tradition that exemplifies this story or this 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 theme in Francis's life. Uh, it's a tradition about Francis who is riding his horse near Assisi and he meets a leper on the road and on the inside he just felt completely repulsed. But he chose to rise above those feelings. And that's the key I want to talk about with you today. He chose to rise above those feelings. He dismounted from his horse and he ran toward the leper. Normally he would want to run away from them, but he ran toward the leper, kissed the leper, and gave the leper money. He rose above all those negative feelings he had inside. And then when he got back on his horse, he looked around and suddenly the leper had disappeared. He was nowhere to be seen. And as the tradition goes, everyone realizes it was actually Jesus, Jesus appearing to him in the form of a leper. Francis encountered Jesus in the, the poverty, the suffering, the ugliness of the leper and his disease. Now, I think what Francis here reminds us of, and really all the saints do this, is that the true sign of conversion, if you want to know, am I really on the path of conversion? Have I really converted in my heart? Am I, am I really growing as a disciple? Am I growing in holiness? The real sign of conversion holiness isn't, oh, I started praying a bunch of rosaries, you know, or this is how many holy hours I do each week. Uh, it's not about participating in things. You know, I go to this church group and I participate in the small group study and it's not about how much I know. You know, I, I know the Bible and I, I read all these books to learn about the Catholic faith. I've studied the catechism and Aquinas. And uh, so all those things are great. Of course, you know, I love the rosary and I talk about adoration and I talk a lot about scripture and the, the theology of our Catholic faith. Of course, all that's really helpful. But the real sign of conversion, the real sign of holiness is love of neighbor. Our neighbor who is poor and suffering, our neighbor who could be our spouse in a not so beautiful moment, our spouse when they're in a, a, going through a real difficult time, our spouse when they're not feeling well, our spouse when they don't treat us well, or maybe it's a child having a breakdown, 
Maybe it's that person we talked about earlier, just that person that frustrates us is difficult to be with. How do you respond when you notice other people's faults? You notice their weaknesses, you notice their bad qualities. How do you respond when those those unsight in, in, uh, those not beautiful qualities affect you and your emotions are repulsed by that person? Well, what Francis here reminds us is that we encounter Jesus not just in our own little private Bible reading time or that time of prayer, that time in the chapel, but we encounter Jesus in our neighbor. Just like Francis encountered Jesus in the lepers. And it did something. It changed him. It transformed him. You know, there's a a biographer I've been reading, Augustine Thompson, who wrote a biography on the life of St. Francis. And it's really, really combing through the early sources and uh, weeding out what is tradition and what is, what are we more certain about? Uh, Listen to what Francis or Augustine Thompson says here about St. Francis. He says, as Francis showed mercy to these outcasts, the lepers, he came to experience God's own gift of mercy to himself. As he cleaned the lepers' bodies, dressed their wounds, treated them as human beings, not as refuse to be not as refuse to be fled from in horror, his perceptions his, his perceptions changed. What before was truly ugly and repulsive now caused him delight and joy. Not only spiritually, but viscerally and physically, Francis's aesthetic sense, which was so central to his personality, had been transformed, even inverted. The startled veteran. The veteran used to be a knight, you know. The startled veteran sensed himself, by God's grace and no power of his own, remade into a different man. Just as suddenly the sins that had been tormenting him seemed to melt away, and Francis experienced a kind of spiritual rebirth and healing. Not long after these encounters, Francis was walking down a road and met one of these same lepers. He embraced the man in his arms and kissed him. Francis's spiritual nightmare was over. He had found peace. See, this was the real turning point. His conversion wasn't just sitting in a chapel having a profound spiritual moment. He did those things, and he did have profound spiritual moments. We're gonna, we can talk about that another show sometime in prayer. But his real conversion, what he pinpoints in his own last will and testament, he gives his last little, his last testament about his life. He talks about it. It was his encounter with the lepers. And what that story reminds me of is something that St. Therese teaches about real love. If we want to know, am I really growing to love? Am I growing in holiness? We want to ask ourselves, do we rise above our feelings? You see, like Francis and the lepers, we, you know, might be tempted when we have people in our lives that frustrate us, when our spouse treats us a certain way and we're mad, when a child is frustrating us, a colleague is annoying us, somebody at the parish just rubs us the wrong way. In those moments, we might be tempted to want to put up a wall, to not be around those people, to avoid those people. But like Francis, we're called to rise above those initial feelings and to love. You see, love is not about feeling. It's an act of the will. And that's what Therese did. St. Therese, she had people in her convent that really got under her skin. She writes about this in her autobiography. People have really just, she did not like their personality. She dreaded being around them, but she rose above those feelings 
there was one sister, in fact, that that like Therese just must have completely fooled her because Therese just was completely joyful, smiling, going out of her way to spend time with this one particular sister in the convent that had bothered her the most. <laughs> And this particular sister said to Therese, oh, what is it that attracts you to me? Why is it that every time I see you, you, you're just smiling all the time? And Therese says, oh, I'm I'm happy to see you. And then she writes in her autobiography that uh, she meant that from a spiritual standpoint. (laughs) She was happy to see this sister from a spiritual perspective. But everything in her was, was not wanting to be with this particular sister. Now, I'll say this. Some people may think, oh, is this really authentic? Shouldn't I be genuine? You know, I should just... You know, if I'm repulsed by someone, I shouldn't pretend and fake and not, you know, why, why is Therese smiling around someone that is bothering her? Why is she going out of her way to spend time with someone that uh, in her feeling she doesn't want to spend time with? You know, this is our, our modern way of looking at things. We, we tend to focus on all of our feelings and our emotions. And if I, my most authentic self is when I'm true to my feelings. That's not the saints. That's not St. Therese, doctor of the church. That's not St. Francis of Assisi. No. Therese says this, charity consists in bearing with the faults of others. Bearing with the faults of others. Do I really love my spouse? Well, do I bear with their faults? Do I do it joyfully? Do I do it patiently? I may need to call them on it. I may need to point things out. But do I bear with their faults joyfully, patiently, compassionately? That's, that's real love. It's not about my feelings. It's about rising above my feelings, Therese says, because real love is, is, is an act of the will. I think our modern world just gets love wrong. We think love is all about the feelings and the emotions, and I have to be authentic to my, to my emotions, and I'm being fake if I rise above my feelings like Therese and, and Francis with the lepers. No, your, what are, your truest self is in your will. And if your mind shows you that the good I need to do is to still love my spouse when they frustrate me, to still love that person in the office that, that, that really bothers me, to love that person in the parish community that's a little awkward to be around, it's rising above my natural feelings, dying to myself and serving them. Like Therese, going out of my way to be with them, like Francis, even going and kissing the leper. So the challenge for you today is this. Do you rise above those natural feelings with the people around you? Do you love the lepers in your life? Do you love those sisters uh, like Therese has in the convent? Do you, do you love the sisters in your life, the people that, that you don't want to be around on a natural level with your natural feelings? Do you still rise above them? Because that's the sign of holiness. That's the sign of, of God's grace taking over and changing you and transforming you. Now, how do we learn to rely on God's grace? How do we allow that to transform us? Well, that's what we're going to look at in future episodes. But stay tuned. And uh, again, if you want to check out the new book, uh, a lot of this applies in marriage. Oh my goodness, how many times in marriage do you have to rise above your natural feelings? Uh, and if you feel you're not good at that and you want to get better at that, how do you do it? Check out the new book that my wife and I have. It's available now. It's called The Good, The Messy, and The Beautiful, The Joys and Struggles of Real Married Life. You can get it at ascensionpress.com slash realmarriage. Again, that's ascensionpress.com slash realmarriage. Thanks for listening. My prayers for you. Please pray for me and my family. God bless.